Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Like, you hit somebody on the butt right now. You're not giving them Corona through their butt. This is the Press Box. Shove it in. With Grady and Bischoff. Set up with a bottle of ranch dressing and he just starts screaming, get it all over my face. On ESPN Las Vegas. Get the virus. You don't have to worry about getting uh, get the vaccine. You don't have to worry about what Tyler just said. It's Ed, <laughs> Tyler, and Jared. All kinds of nonsense starting on a Friday. But let's start with some Raiders. The First Bite. Does John Gruden have scapegoats lined up for 2021? This is a good one. Uh, you can talk to us about Thanks. what Victor Four Victor Four said. That was for Tyler. Um, <laughs> it was a great job on the open, uh, but this is a good one because of what Victor Four wrote. Because I'm I'm almost fascinated um, on scapegoats. Mike Mayock would be an obvious one, but I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on who the other one be. I have my own thoughts, but if he I mean, are you surprised you have scapegoats lined up? They haven't won anything since he's been back. I mean, well, they haven't right? lost anything next season yet either. So, well, not to have yet. Them, to have them lined up is not ideal. Yeah. So, Vic Tafer wrote in a story for the Athletic: If Gruden's seat ever gets warm, he chucks it out the window and gets another <laughs> one. There are a couple of scapegoats already lined up for next season if the Raiders don't improve on eight and eight and to me the, the two big ones are mike mayock and Derek carr yeah. uh, we, we yeah. already saw paul gunther was used as sort of the first scapegoat in year three right that that was sort of the first guy that they were like in an important position that they said all right we're getting rid of this guy because we're not winning and that's the reason why everything's going to be fixed and they hired gus bradley and and maybe gus bradley does fix everything but that was sort of scapegoat number one and We've talked about it a lot since the end of the season through now. Not many coaches get to go three straight years without going to the playoffs. And normally, most of them get fired, but at least not even have a hot seat. And John Gruden doesn't seem to have a hot seat. As Vic Tafer wrote, he'd just throw it out the window because he seems to be in charge. But the two names that would be next in terms of scapegoat are Mike Mayock and Derek Carr. And first off, so Derek Carr makes a lot of sense in that they're not really committed to him salary wise like they can they can cut or trade him after next season they can do it right now too and there's not there's a pretty much insignificant amount of dead money on his deal so it wouldn't really hurt them at all if they moved on from Derek Carr against the salary cap and it's pretty easy to make the argument that hey you've been the quarterback for 8 years uh, the team has been to the playoffs once in those eight years, and four years under John Gruden, you haven't been to the playoffs, right? That, that's a pretty easy argument to say, we got to move on from this quarterback. But if this, ne- if this 2021 season plays out a lot like the 2020 season, where they win seven or eight games, and the offense is somewhere between eighth and twelfth best in the league, and Derek Carr is somewhere between the eighth and twelfth best quarterback in the league, but the defense is bad, how do you dump Derek Carr in that situation? Like, how do you how do you honestly, with a straight face, get rid of Derek Carr instead of changing, trying to make drastic changes everywhere else? Well, everyone for himself, everyone for himself <laughs> on the boat, push everyone off. Yeah, look, Derek Carr is the obvious second second choice there because 
when you use scapegoats, it, it, it has to be someone of a premier position, right? You're not going to use the, you know, the safety that they don't have yet as the scapegoat. Yeah. Um, Deuce Gruden's not going to be the scapegoat. No, and I don't think you can tell Gus Bradley, Gus, come out of the lab, you're fired. I mean, like, you can't do that because they already just hired him. So, you, well, you imagine if Gus Bradley came out of the lab and he was fired before they co- he coached the game. So, it's usually what who's you know the very three it's three things it's the head coach GM or quarterback I mean that's there's no one else that I mean if anyone else is a, sco- a scapegoat you kind of laugh and say well that guy's not that important um, so yeah these are the two and, and reading what Vic wrote if he says there's two these are the only two I mean Gruden's not using himself as a scapegoat so it's either the GM or the quarterback and I mean it's right and it's not I I I think you can use the quarterback I'm not saying it's correct like I said Derek Carr could have another career year at quarterback. And they still could go, you know, miss the playoffs by a game. And you look and say, well, how can it be him? But in this league, if you throw out Gruden, because in this league, as Vic wrote it, or, or said, if you're in your fourth year as head coach now into the playoffs, you're on the hot seat, unless you have a 10-year deal. I mean, you, that's automatic. But also in this league, if you're an eighth-year starter at the most important position, however you played or not, and you haven't been to the playoffs, I don't know if it's an easy scapegoat, but it's probably an accepted one by the fan base. Yeah. Like I, you know, I they would accept like, yeah, you know, Derek, you've been good for us, but you know, God, got to get back to the playoffs. It's time for a change. Like I don't think he would get a lot of heat for that if they missed the playoffs. And like you said, they don't owe Car money anyway, so it's really easy to move on from him. So those have to be the two. I, I got to be honest, with you, Tyler, I would rank Car over Mayock, like because when you if you fire Mayock after the four, what would it be here? It'd be his third year, right? Yeah, because his he third, fired yeah. Reggie after one year. Okay, if you do that, see to me, and I'd like to know what you think here. To me, in Gruden's mind, that's more of a rip on himself. He's the one who went out and hired Mike Mayock and said, "This is the evaluator. He knows he can evaluate better than anyone." He can still say he inherited Derek Carr. Now he's supposed to be the quarterback guru and make him better. But I would actually rank Carr one and Mayock two in scapegoats only because I don't think Gruden would want to make the admission that he messed up on firing a GM and hiring a new one. Yeah, I, I think that's how it would play out if the Raiders, in fact, do win seven or eight games this year and miss the playoffs again. I, I do think they would eventually get rid of Derek Carr, even if it wasn't Derek Carr's fault. But what's what's going to be fascinating is, and again, I'm I'm a little questionable on the offense. Are they going to be as good as they were last season after tearing down the offensive line? I, a little questionable. No, there, but yeah. Yeah. they should still be fine on that side of the ball. Um, but what what's going to be fascinating is if this season Henry Ruggs has like four or five hundred receiving yards. If Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett are ranked as you know the worst defensive backs in football again, if Cleveland Furl has another two to three sack season if Josh Jacobs gets outplayed by Kenyon Drake or something like that. If the, if the high draft picks the Raiders have taken aren't very good this year, like you have you can't you can't honestly blame that on Derek Carr. You have to look at the front no. office that's making decisions, and even if Mike Mayock's not the one with the final decision, I. I think Mayock's an easy scapegoat too. Like I think either one of them is going to be easy at the end of the day. And I think I agree with you that Carr would be the most likely one to go, but I think it would be the wrong choice. Like if you're going to oh, get there, rid there's of no one question of Carr, Mayock. Be, yeah. yeah, there's no question it could be the wrong choice. Yeah. I just, with Gruden's ego, he fired Reggie McKenzie. He hired Mike Mayock. And we've gone over and over and over about what they said about Mike Mayock and, you know, working for NFL Network and all the evaluation did on all the teams and how he knew what a football player was, all the cliches we heard about Mike Mayock. 
I'm with you. It, like, let's say Derek Carr is another great season. Derek Carr hasn't had many bad seasons statistically. That's the thing. It's not like he's been bad. But a guy with the ego at the top, and those guys don't like admit many, making mistakes. And again, I also think it goes back to the fan base. And, well, look, the fan base would accept either one. I don't think they really would care either way. They just want to win and go to the playoffs. So if Gruden stands up there and says, this will help us get to the playoffs, then they're just going to go, okay. Um, but I, th- I think it would be Carr... I don't, I'm not saying that was the right decision by any means, but if you're a starter for eight years, and again, we don't know. They might go to the playoffs this year, might win a few games. We're just This is all based on what Vic said in terms of if it doesn't go well and they don't go again to the playoffs. Look, I know Gruden's got all kinds of security, but I would think Eve Tyler, after four straight years of missing playoffs, even he would say, well, we got to do something here for this fan. We got to at least show the fan base, no, we're going to make a move, right? You can't just stay – you can't stand pat if you go over 4. I mean, he's not going to lose his job, as Vic said, but I would think internally they'd be like, hey, you got to do something. Mark Davis might even say that. Hopefully. I mean, at some point – Hopefully Mark got Davis some, says it. Yeah. Hopefully exactly. Mark Davis comes down and says, hey, John, uh, you yeah. think we're going to have a good team anytime soon? Like, yeah. you think we're going to yeah. make the playoffs before this 10-year deal is up or not? Um, yeah. So, John, my, te- my basketball team just won a championship. Can we get to the playoffs <laughs> on this one? <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic of John Gruden and the Raiders because, again, normally the coach is one that takes the heat for how bad they've been. But in this scenario, it doesn't appear as though he's ever in line to take that heat. All right, I do I do want to talk about one other thing with the Raiders because this is going to become a jersey show just for Ed Graney because he loves uh, talking about jerseys yes, yes. so much. But Josh Jacobs tweeted earlier this week that he wants a new uniform for the Raiders. He quote tweeted somebody that had photoshopped an all black alternate uniform for the Raiders and Josh Jacobs said that the Raiders needed it and then he followed that up with a tweet that said Before everyone starts bringing up tradition, look at the last decade. It's time to rewrite that MF. Josh Jacobs might be my new favorite player because everybody yells about tradition. And he said, what tradition? We've sucked for a long time. This was, uh, you know, I'm not a Jersey guy. You're making fun of me. But in this instance, I am completely on board with supporting this as well. Because one thing about this fan base, while as loyal and committed as it is, it has a big sense of UNLV 1990, where they continue to live in the past and they continue to think they're far better than they are. And this is a guy who's one of your best players saying, you know what? It's time for a change. I am completely (laughs) in on this. Good for him. Like, good for him to stand up and say, hey, we got to change things up around here. You know, he hasn't been there very long, but he he could say it's been 17, 1 in 17, 18 years, one playoff. So I'm with you on this. I good for him. Now, do I actually think that that organization would ever try to, you know, change away from tradition and, you know, commitment to excellence and all the things we hear over and over and over? That's the big part of this. I don't think they would, but I'm all on I'm all in on him saying it. and maybe he's trying to be a leader. I mean, good for him. He's speaking out, you know. Someone has to say, "Look, it hasn't been good. So what can we change here just to get some change going?" So, good for Josh Jacobs. That's my type of leadership. New jerseys? New jerseys? That is absolutely what I want to see as, as from my leader. Worried about the jerseys. I love it. It's the best thing they can do. So, okay. I thought when the Raiders moved to Vegas, I thought there should have been some sort of rebrand. Not necessarily, not change the name rebrand, but there should have been some sort of, hey, 
we're updating the uniforms to look a little bit different or we're updating the logo to look a little bit different because you're going to Vegas. It's new. All they did was put that patch with the state of Nevada on it, on their jerseys, and, and that was it. That'll probably be gone next year. So, like, the Raiders logo is bad. Um, I can have this argument every day of the week. The, the, everybody thinks the Raiders have a good logo just because it's old. But in reality, it's a very bad logo. Like, there's not much good. It's a busy logo that isn't very intimidating or anything. There's not much cool about the Raiders logo. They should change their logo. They should no doubt change their logo. They're not going to because it's old and people get confused and think old means good. But they should absolutely change their logo. And I'd be perfectly fine if they changed their uniforms or even just had an all-black alternate uniform to wear during the season. I have Raiders logos hot takes. Okay, yeah, Jared. Um, I feel sorry for you. Here come the uh, phone calls. Um, it's a bad uh, logo. Oh, it's no, not. No, it's I, not I, I, look, logo. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just saying the sacrilegious statement of the fan base that you just made. That's that's what I was. Look, he's, you're going. Ed, you're go- he's wearing an eye patch and squinting. The logo <laughs> literally is showing someone who cannot see. No. Oh, I'm not debating or disagreeing with any of that. I'm just saying it goes back to Josh Jacobs' Ooh, uh, point. Tweet it out. Tweet it out, the, Tyler. Ed Graney. Yeah. The logo is bad. <laughs> um, the uniform of a, um, or the uniform change that he said again. The, we we we've talked about this fan base before. It, it the history tradition, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's fine. But set one playoff game in 17 years, and you're in a new city. I mean, they're not changing the logo. And look, I'm I'm 50 50 in the logo. I don't really care about the logo, and I don't have your feelings strongly about it because I don't really care about that. But I do think. Good for him that he would stand up and say, "Let's." And it, isn't he talking about an alternate uniform? He's not ch- talking about changing yeah. the main one, right? Yeah. So who cares? You know, throw that in. Who who isn't wearing an alternate uniform, by the way, in any sport now? The Raiders. I mean, you know, well, <laughs> are they the last ones on the hill? Are they the last they, ones on the hill? They okay. The Raiders actually do have an alternate uniform, but this is what it is. They're white. It's their normal white jerseys as you've normally seen, but they change the numbers from black to silver. I remember those. All right. What? I mean, <laughs> that is, okay, so that all, is their all he's, asking you, all he's asking you to do is change the color of the uniform? Yes, to just wear black pants with the black jerseys. I think those would look cool. Nope. Sacrilegious. Give me the number for Raider Nation Radio. I need to go on there and start giving Clay and Pritch my thoughts on changing the logo. <laughs> yeah, this is Raider <laughs> Tyler. Yeah, during, during the break, just walk over there and scare them as you walk in there. I don't, uh, would you be able to fit in that studio? Uh, barely. I, I, third person. I, not, third person. Not, I don't know. Not within social distancing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, we are going to get into UNLV football because we got a quarterback battle in April. Third and goal. Brumfield back to throw. Looking for the end zone. Looking. Rolling to his left. He's going to try to run. He's at the five. He's in for a touchdown. The freshman, Doug Brumfield, went back to throw, looked, and then decided to tuck and run, and he gets in for a touchdown. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Oh, it's April and we got a quarterback battle, a three-way quarterback battle. Uh, Mike Grimaldo went out to the UNLV football spring practice and reported back on UNLV's quarterback position. They've got three guys, Doug Brumfield, Justin Rogers, and Cameron Friel competing for the starting job. Uh, Marcus Arroyo might not name a starter until the season gets here. Uh, but Mike did write that Cameron Friel may be the favorite. Cameron Friel is the freshman out of Hawaii that's coming in. Um, oh, man. Are you excited for quarterback battle talk in April, Ed? 
Yeah. I mean, I was interested to see out of their spring ball what would kind of come in terms of the news. So, any look, they were 0-6 and, and, and got beat up pretty bad, so they should have a quarterback controversy, right? I mean, <laughs> we, we, love the, we love the naked model sushi guy, but if that was your best option, you need a quarterback battle in spring to see who can play the position a lot better. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Justin Rogers really couldn't beat out Gillum, so he was kind of the guy from the TCU transfer everyone got all excited about. Um so unless there's a lot of improvement there, I would guess Mike's right where it's one of the other two who might kind of in the in coaches' minds be the leader right now, and they'll see how it plays out. But um, I just hope, like, I, I'm not – I don't know about you. You can tell me what you think. I'm not like a, you know, a, a rotational guy when games start. Like, I hope someone just wins the job and he's the guy. And, you know, you know look, if he loses his first three or four and they're not playing well, I get that. But I'm not a big rotational guy and situational guy. So, um yeah, I mean, it's fine. He probably should have a quarterback competition at this far. They haven't won a game, so they need to have a competition, and they need to probably bring it to maybe prep week of the opener against Eastern Washington before you name a guy and make guys battle it out. I wouldn't hand it to anybody at this point. Yeah, it's a little concerning that two guys that couldn't beat out Max Gillum are two of the potential starting quarterbacks for UNLV this season. Um, but you look at Doug Brumfield, Justin Rogers, and Cameron Friel, if Frio wins the job, that's fascinating because you're talking about a true freshman that comes in and beats out Justin Rogers, who uh, he hasn't played. He's barely played, I should say, in like the last four years since his right, junior right, year of right. high school because of injuries. But sure. he was a four-star recruit. He did go to TCU. Like, there sh- should be talent in there. And then Doug Brumfield was a – Brumfield and Frio basically had like the same recruiting ranking. They're just a year apart. Uh, but I go back to last year and – Sort of the same questions we had then. Why did Max Gillum get the majority of the playing time last season? Like, Max Gillum, I mean, technically he could have come back because everybody could have come back for a year, but Max Gillum was a senior. Like, we kind of knew Max Gillum wasn't coming back, but yet Max Gillum got the majority of the snaps, and we don't know nearly as much about Doug Brumfield or Justin Rogers as we could because they barely played last season. I mean, had they had either one of those guys gotten a significant amount of playing time, then we might have a lot more information. We might actually have opinions on Justin Rogers and Doug Brumfield and whether or not they should be the starter, but we never saw those guys play. Yeah. I mean, I knew Gillum wasn't coming back and had other options when he was on the boat. So, (laughs) I mean, if I'm UNLV coach, I'm like, I don't know this guy's coming back. He has much better options. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I read the story, and I'll say this about Brumfield. In the very little time I actually watched Brumfield, he definitely had an issue throwing the ball. But to the kid's credit, and I think it was in Mike's story, where he admitted that and said, hey, I do this, I do this, I have to correct that. So that was good to hear that he's working on something that obviously he struggled with. I mean, he overthrew guys. I mean, he, you know, like he said, he threw, you know, there was a five-yard hitch and he was throwing at 90 miles an hour. He's got to get better at that. So I kind of like reading that, that the kid knows he has uh, some things to correct. I know nothing, obviously, as a true freshman about Cameron Friel. Um, but you make a good point also. If it was a true battle last year, let's say it was a true battle during the six games, and Rodgers and Brumfield couldn't beat out a nice kid in Max, but certainly not a top-level quarterback in that league, if they couldn't, I guess I'm not overly surprised if Mike's right and Friel's the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, I think he should no, have he to win the job, be. but yeah, that shouldn't surprise should anyone. So, like you said, so it'll be interesting to watch. Look. You need something to watch on this team as it goes through spring and into fall. You need something to, <laughs> if you're the fan base, to be something, someone excited about uh, to see who the quarterback is. That's always the most important position and the most exciting position to hear who the guy is going to be. Um, 
So none of this surprises me that there's a competition and, you know, they've got to look, they just, at the end of the day, like most positions from what we saw, they have to get better at the most important position. So I don't know who of these, I don't know which of these three are going to be the quarterback, but he has to be more productive and better than what they had last year. That's just, that's obvious. That's just an obvious statement. Both Rodgers and Brumfield, the exciting part when they played last year was that they threw the ball down the field. Max Gillum, like never threw it down the field. He was a short passing game quarterback but those two threw it down the field the problem is justin rogers threw 22 passes last year doug brumfield threw 21 like we 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 didn't see them. we did not see them other than a couple of snaps in a few games to play quarterback so there was some excitement in terms of hey they're pushing the ball down the field the offense is going to look a lot different if you have a quarterback that can actually throw it down the field if you have a deep threat passing game the offense will look a lot different but we just we saw 43 combined passes between the two compared to 148 for Max Gillum. So I'm I'm it's it's a fascinating quarterback battle where I, yeah. I think we're sitting here saying we don't really know anything about any of them. I mean we we no. don't know anything about Cameron Friel, and we know 20 passes about Doug Brumfield and Justin Rogers, and that's not nearly enough to say anything about him. So it's it's fascinating. It's it's a fascinating quarterback battle to watch. And to go back to your point. Marcus Aurelio ended up giving Max Gillum most of the playing time, but we saw rotations. We saw other quarterbacks coming. They sure. used five over the course, five guys through a pass over the course of the season. One was a wide receiver, though. Like, we saw a, a planned rotation. There were multiple games where he said, well, we plan to get so-and-so in a quarterback. I, I'd be fascinated to see if they do that again or if Marcus Arroyo, because last year he was viewing it as spring practice, if this year he views it as a legitimate season and says, no, I got to name a starting quarterback and this guy's getting all the snaps until he proves otherwise that he's not he's not worth being the starting quarterback. I mean, I kind of hope it's that way to start. Like I said, though, if things go south, they've got some pretty tough non-conference games and whoever it is isn't playing. Well, I, I get that because, you know, at this point, essentially, they're all probably pretty close. They probably all have a skill or two that is better than the other, I would think. That's why there's a competition. So my, I think the hope is from a fan base perspective, if you're asking them, name a guy, he's your guy. And if it doesn't go well early, you have these other two and whoever the backup is. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm not a fan of, hey, uh, Friel's our starter, but we have a couple packages for Brumfield. So, <laughs> I, I, whatever. I just, that just drives me nuts. Just name a guy. He's had guys now. This is a very unfair comparison. He's had guys in his past as a coordinator who those were the guys. Now, one of them is one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. So, you know, but I'm sure I, I don't know his entire history with quarterbacks in terms of who he's had. But my guess is, for the most part, he's had a guy. And kind of that's what I would like to see come out of this. I don't know who it will be. But, you know, I think they need to name somebody and have that continuity there week to week, at least early, to see how the kid, whoever it is, performs. We need a Marcus Mariota package and a Justin Rogers package in Allegiant Stadium next year. Bring them in in the red zone. Save the day. Maybe Friel's the Marcus Mariotti's from Hawaii, so maybe there's a Hawaiian package they can throw in there. Maybe it's a ticket package. You get to sit with them during the game. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get to wear the vest that they wear when they signal in signs? I think you get to like you get like a uh, extra cord that plugs into their headset. Oh, it doesn't have a microphone, but you get to hear it. Oh, it's like if what you if, go to a NASCAR race and yeah. you can wear the headphones to listen to the crew chief talk to the driver. Yeah, I like this package. What if in that package, if you can name, like, you can answer three trivia questions about UNLV football, you get one of those Royal hats that everyone wants. Oh, they don't have enough. They do not have yeah, enough. They don't have hats. enough of those hats. They, they only, I'm not they a only Jersey like guy, but the hat's pretty cool, actually. 
How old? Oh, we're turning him. We're turning Ed oh, Grady. No, no. As long as it's a flex fit, I don't do the other oh, ones gosh. where you push in the buttons. I do not do the ones where you push them together, like whatever's we'll on the back with that. In the with buttons. the buttons, I do not do those. It's got to be a flex the, fit. The weirdest part is the fact that Ed dem- never, like, bends the bill. He's all flat-billed baseball caps all yes. the time. Flat bill, stretch fit, and that's flex, flex fit, and that's it. No buttons on the back of the Cock to the those. side, do rag underneath. <laughs> Fernando Rodney. Coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Austin, how are you this morning? Hey, Austin. Doing great. How are you? We are good. good. So, are you buying into the idea that the top three picks in the draft are set, that we're going to see Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones go one, two, three? I mean, I think if if I was a betting man, you know, I think that's where I'd lead right now. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, Dave Brugler of The Athletic, Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, all three, from what they're hearing, who all have deep ties to the league, obviously, is that the San Francisco 49ers are indeed, in fact, locking into Mac Jones at number three overall. And I do think that that's the, probably the favorite for a reason. I think in betting markets right now, it's minus 200 that Mac Jones goes to the San Francisco 49ers at number three. So is there, is there any chance it's a precipitous drop for Fields, or would he go pretty quickly after that? So it could be a drop. You know, From what I'm hearing, it sounds like the league is lower on Justin Fields for whatever reason. I think the primary reason being kind of his overall processing. He's not an anticipatory thrower. He throws when the receiver's open, not as he's coming open. Can hold the ball a little bit too long. Stuff that needs to be coached out at the next level. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. But I've heard that the league is lower on Justin Fields than most of the media. You know, I think the media and some analysts, including PFF, seeing as the number three quarterback prospect in this class, right behind Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, but maybe the league is a bit lower on him. I don't think he ultimately slips outside the top ten. I know we've seen some mock drafts having him go down to ten or eleven and have teams trading up for him. I think he does go inside the top ten, and I think it's going to be a team trading up to go get Justin Fields probably before the Denver Broncos at nine. So if you were the Broncos or the Patriots or, or some other team that might need a quarterback, would you trade up to four to get him if, it, if the top three does go, in fact, the way we think it goes? One thousand uh, percent. If you are, you know, I would even put Carolina in that conversation. And I know they just traded the second round pick for Sam Darnold, but Justin Fields is a better prospect than Sam Darnold. I'm sorry. So is Trey Lance in a lot of ways, especially considering the fact that if Sam Darnold does make this leap away from, you know, Adam Gates, say he does a Ryan Tannehill and takes a massive leap in development, then you're going to have to pay him. You know, then you're going to have to pay him on the second contract. And Sam Darnold on a rookie deal is one thing. Sam Darnold having to get a positive ROI on that investment on a, you know, a market rate second contract in the NFL is going to be very difficult. So I think Carolina is in a position to do so. Denver, obviously, you know, hinging your wagon or hitching your wagon to Drew Locke is never – Drew Locke and Brett Rippon, that quarterback room is a disaster. Then you look at New England. New England's playing camp, paying Cam Newton backup money. So incentives could push it up to $14 million, but I don't think they want to pay him that. I think they spent all that money in free agency, over $135 million guaranteed, second most of any team in any offseason in NFL history, to go get cheaper at the most valuable position in sports, quarterback. And I think they're going to try and make a move to go up to four, to go grab a field or a lance. And then I think the, the wild card is Washington. Washington has such a good, young roster in the NFL. Terry McLaurin, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, all these guys, Cameron Curl, all these guys on rookie contracts. You're going to have to pay them soon. And when you do, 
you better have a cheap player at the most valuable position in sports, and that's quarterback. They don't have that right now. They don't have a long-term solution. As much as I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think all those teams could be making a play to go up and grab a quarterback. If We talked about this earlier this week, Austin. If they don't and, 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 and for, people don't move up for a quarterback, and obviously it's not near the important position, but we're hearing so much about Kyle Pitts and how impressive he is. If there's a team there that thinks he's going to go, and as we said earlier in the week on the show, that someone thinks he's Travis Kelsey, like he's the next guy, could you ever see someone up trading way up to get him knowing he's probably going to go top 10 anyway? I mean, teams do a lot of dumb things all the time, so I guess I could see a team doing it, but I don't think it makes a ton of sense. As good as Kyle Pitts can be, and I like him a lot, I think he's a top-five player overall in this class. I think trading multiple picks, future first-round, future second-round picks, to go up and get one player, one non-quarterback, is just so difficult. Like, how good Kyle Pitts has to be to be better than the pick you have this year, the the two picks you're probably trading away, a first and a second round next year, how good he has to be to be better than those three players is absurd. Like, he has to be better than three players that would be drafted in the top 50. It's just not going to happen. Like, you have to be less confident in your evaluation of Kyle Pitts, understand the analytics. Like, he can only play 800 to 1,000 snaps a year. You could draft three other players that are filling other positions of need for your football team. I think the only position where it really makes sense to trade multiple picks, multiple top 50 picks, and go up and get his quarterback. Because those guys can be. That position can be more valuable than three other players at other positions because of how important it is to winning football games on the field. Austin, you mentioned the Sam Darnold in Carolina. And I'm curious, how much, how much do you believe in the idea of, well, if you get away from Adam Gase, you'll be a lot better? I believe it a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think Sam Darnold's <laughs> going to play the best. You know, this is going to be the best NFL version of Sam Darnold we've ever seen. Joe Brady... E.J. Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, Taylor Moton up front. They have a good offensive line. Defense is you know, going to see a lot of second-year leaps. Derek Brown, Jeremy Chin. I think there's, there's a lot of reason to be excited about the supporting cast in Carolina. This is going to be the best year of Sam Darnold's career. It's just how much better will it get? You know, that's, that's the million-dollar question. That's the multi-million-dollar question with Sam Darnold. He will be better. How much better? And will he be better enough to double down on this trade and put, give him – a four- or five-year contract extension that puts him as a top-15, top-10 paid quarterback in the NFL, because that's what's going to be. You don't, you don't give second contracts to former top-five picks. They don't end up being you know, top-10, top-five at their position. That's what's going to be. So I'm really interested to see how much better he is. 23 years old, everyone throws that age around a ton in a really good system. He has every opportunity to take a massive leap forward in 2021. If he doesn't, it was a bet that the Carolina Panthers made that didn't work out, and you move on from him. But if it does, it'll be interesting to see if that he can be that quarterback of the future for Carolina. Um, okay, so we know he couldn't stay on the field much for Gruden. Reports come yesterday, and, and we talked about this in terms of their need of a free safety here in Las Vegas. And reports are yesterday Carl Joseph was visiting with the Raiders. Um, you've talked about this before. To take a free safety at 17, as good as a kid from TCU might be, would be a mistake. Is Carl Joseph a mistake, or could he be the answer that Bradley's looking for at free safety? I don't think Carl Joseph would be a mistake at all. I mean, I really like Carl Joseph coming out of West Virginia. I think playing him at free safety and keeping him away from having to cover you know tight ends one on one at five foot eight is probably is probably the way to go. Like I remember when he was first drafted, you know, he was asked to play in the box a ton because very good against the run. But you leave Carl Joseph in the box enough, we're going to start having tight ends beat him down, and they did. And I think that's when Raiders kind of misused him in a lot of ways, protecting him almost at deep safety could be the move. I think you could see him have a lot of success at that position in Gus Bradley's defense. And 
still a very good athlete, a rocked up, what, 5'9", 210, 215. I really like him as a player, and he's going to be a low-risk option. I mean, you're not going to, you know, Carl Joseph, you're not going to break the bank for Carl Joseph on a one-year, two-year deal, low-dollar low figure. It's well worth the risk. It allows you to bring in a veteran at that position that isn't named Jeff Heath. I think it could be a valuable move for the Raiders. <laughs> hey, Jeff Heath picked off Pat Mahomes last year. That's all that matters. Um, on the Raiders, I'm curious, did you see the Colton Miller extension and how it's structured against the cap for the Raiders the next five years? Yeah, I did see that. I mean, I do think that it, it, it's a good decision for the Las Vegas Raiders. I think over the past three or four years, that's been easily their best pick. And I think the reason for that is, is they invested in a very valuable position, and Colt Miller has been average to above average across his you know, three years in the NFL. And that's all you need at offensive tackle. Getting average to above average play from an offensive tackle is what you need in the NFL. That's what every team wants. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs wish they had that in the Super Bowl, obviously. You don't need elite talent. You need average to above average play to, lead, you know, to win. And also the other thing you need is availability. And if anything Colt Miller has shown is that he's on the football field consistently. He's played through injury. He's done all these things. And he's coming off the best season of his career, specifically in pass protection. So I didn't love the pick for Colt Miller at the time, but I think the more I've you know, learned about positional value and thought about you know, that investment overall, you brought in a player in a valuable position with a ton of raw tools and raw potential. He's met that to some degree. Is he the top five, you know, you know, is he a top five tackle in the NFL like he's paid now? Probably not. But he's good enough for that extension. I think it was a smart move by the Raiders. So when the cap hit is is spread out and it goes from four million this year to thirteen million this year, and but on the back end it's cheaper than what it normally would have been. I viewed that as like, oh, that'd be good if the Raiders were rebuilding, but the Raiders aren't rebuilding right now. I mean, I think the Raiders are rebuilding. Unfortunately, I think they've been <laughs> rebuilding for probably the last twenty years. I mean, that's the problem. I think will they eventually ever fully commit to rebuild? Probably not. Even though what the problem was. You know, John Gruden comes in on this monster 10-year contract, giving full carte blanche to do whatever he wants, commit to whatever you want to do. Obviously, his ties with the Davis family are deep. And still has yet to really fully commit to a rebuild. You know, they're obviously trying to win with Derek Carr. They're trying to win with the pieces they have in place. They've traded away Amari Cooper, traded away Khalil Mack. They just haven't fully reset the quarterback position and therefore really dived into a rebuild. But I still think this is a defensively a rebuilding roster. Offensively, you obviously need – you completely lost – four of your members along the offensive line. Like I do think that they're in the middle of a rebuild. The only thing that's not necessarily resetting over the past three years is Derek Carr. And Derek Carr, in an ideal situation, I think can be a very productive quarterback. I just think, again, and I've said this before, the Raiders are two, three years away of rebuilding from having an ideal situation. And at that point, Derek Carr is going to be on the back end of his deal. Hold on. Did we lose Ed? Ed, are you still there? Oh, I think we lost. Austin, would you would you go would you go get <laughs> There we go. He's <laughs> back. He's back. Austin, would you go get Clowney at even if an overprice or a low price if you could get him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I'm interested to know the price. I think that's why he's probably been on the market right. for as long as he has. It was the same reason he was on the market for a long time last offseason. You know, injuries are another thing as well. You're not able to fly players around right now and get medical checks as easy as you could re- uh, you know, in a non COVID impacted season. So I do think Injuries, obviously a risk. Obviously, you want to know what his price tag is. But there's also, you know, Melvin Ingram's still available. That's another guy that I think, you know, familiarity with Gus Bradley's scheme could be an option for the Raiders as well. Getting better at pass rusher is something the Las Vegas Raiders should never avoid. Because right now, with Gus Bradley there, they're not going to blitz a ton. You know, you know Gus Bradley, of any defensive coordinator in the NFL, is blitzed at the lowest rate, 16%. And when he's had success as a defensive coordinator, 
Going back to Seattle, Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Jacksonville, Yannick Ngakwe, Calais Campbell, Los Angeles, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. He's had successful pass rushers up front. He's got Ngakwe. Quinlan Furrow will likely kick inside. A combination of Max Crosby and Arden Key, Reese Hurst. But I still think you can get better at that position, whether it's in the draft at 17 or adding a depth piece like or a rotational piece like Clowney or Melvin Ingram. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Of course, thank you. Did you mute yourself again, Ed? Well, there was a good reason for it, but anyway, um, someone, yeah, so there was an issue with the house. There's an issue okay. with the house. What are you going to do? Okay. I just, you know, it's just, it's, it's, we'll it's just, just assume. It's live we'll radio assume. from home. Listen, we'll it's going to be, it's going to be okay when we get back in the studio in uh, June of 2024. So we're, it'll be fine then. You guys are going to look at me when you come in here and go, Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> you don't think you we already bad. do that? We already do that. You look worse than normal? Yeah. Do you look like you're about to die? I, dude, I've been, I've been by myself. You think I'm making good decisions? Are you, are you showering on a regular basis? Yeah, after the show. All right. It's a little bit scary for when we're in there. All right. <laughs> coming up next. Uh, oh, I am, I'm pumped. Well, I might be very angry at some point, but I am pumped. Because one of the best soccer games the United States plays in is coming to Vegas. Irvitz 2-0. And Correa hits this one well to right. It sends back round. Still back. He leaps. And that ball is gone. Carlos Correa homers for the second straight game. The 1-1. Off-speed pitch. Crank. Left field and deep. Altuve. A bomb. 6-0. I got to say, playing the Oakland A's is the greatest thing that's ever happened in baseball. That team is so bad. It's great. It's phenomenal. Did you guys win last uh, night? We did. We did. Six right. to two. We're we're playing the Oakland days again. Of course, of right. course, the Astros won again. Right. <laughs> right. Oakland can't I, hit. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just had to include the fact that the fans started chanting, "We want fires." Yeah, well, they're afraid to use Mike Fires against the Houston Astros, and that's also funny because last year in the playoffs, when the Astros played the A's, every single pitcher pitched for the A's except Mike Fires. It's phenomenal. It's great. And now he's on the IL for the first 10 days of the season because they play the Astros seven times in the first 10 days. And he'll be healthy after that. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about soccer. Ed, do you know what the Gold Cup is? It's a big tournament. And uh, the finals are in Las Vegas. And uh, I think, though, Gold Cup final, I think, though. Ed um, has read the rundown. <laughs> no, I, I, knew it was, I knew it was a huge tournament. But I also re re uh, read the rundown. And... So I'm looking, correct me if I'm wrong, unless this is wrong, I don't think the U.S. and Mexico, could they meet in the final? Yeah, they can. Okay. What do you, oh, are you, are you looking at the... Uh... I'm looking at the brackets. Yeah, okay, so the first, the first round there where the U.S. and Mexico are, that's group play. That's not okay. actual right. head-to-head -head brackets. It's a new group stage, so they could, but they couldn't also. 
Yes. Yeah, so if they both okay. win their groups, they'll be on opposite sides of the bracket. Okay. If they if one of them come finishes second in their group, then they'd be on the same side of the All bracket right. and could only and couldn't meet. Could only play in but the semis, both, and we're not sure where those are right now. Yeah. If they both win their group, they'll they'll be on course to play in the Gold Cup final. So the U.S. isn't winning their group. We're great in the Gold Cup, Jared. We dominate the Gold Cup. We are we are so good against CONCACAF teams unless it's World Cup qualifying games. We are unbelievable in this tournament. So unless it um, matters. Well, it kind of matters. It's the Gold Cup. Come on. So there hasn't actually been an actual announcement about this yet, but the Gold Cup put out their <laughs> you know bracket and group play, and on the graphic that they used... It says the final is on August 1st, and it's in Las Vegas. Now, again, there's been no actual, like, announcement from CONCACAF. There's been no actual announcement from anyone in Las Vegas. We can assume this is going to be at Allegiant Stadium and not at Sam Boyd. But according to this graphic, the final of the Gold Cup is going to be here in Las Vegas, which, this is basically, this is how I'm viewing it. If the U.S. does, in fact, make the final, I'll be pumped about it. It'll be awesome. If the U.S. doesn't make the final, I'm going to be so angry that some bum like Panama is in the final in Las Vegas playing Mexico. Well, but I don't think a Legion will be unhappy if, well, if both get there, they'll be really happy. But if just Mexico got there, I think they'd be okay with it because I think they'd get a huge crowd. Yeah, I think your your pecking order is one Mexico, two the United two States. Yeah. Then there's a gap, and Co- Costa Rica has a pretty significant fan base that would show up. And then there's a massive gap, and it's... Panama, Canada, every other country in CONCACAF that wouldn't get much of a crowd at all. So, but if it's if it's U.S., Mexico, it'll be great. If Costa Rica's there playing one of the two, it, that would be they, they'd be have a really solid crowd for that as well. So, bigger draw, UNLV football, Eastern Washington, or <laughs> Qatar against Jamaica. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm asking you, two types of football. They'd both be in Allegiant Stadium. Who gets the bigger draw? I forgot Qatar was in the <laughs> North American tournament this year. Well, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Hold on. I'm going to go ahead and Google where I think Qatar is. <laughs> it's where you think it is. Okay. It is. It is. We just, we, we granted, I don't remember why, but we gave, we accepted them in because I don't know. They don't have to. Oh, I think it's because they don't have to qualify for the World Cup because they're hosting. So they don't play World Cup qualifiers. So they are looking for games to play before the world cup so i think that might be why we said yeah come I on mean, qatar and come they, play in obviously tournament. they don't want to play in qatar because those conditions no one should play soccer in qatar or build qatar versus, qatar, qatar versus haiti get your tickets now yeah oh man imagine a legion stadium getting that by the way the united states has played in the south american version of this tournament and has actually, I think we've made it to the final before of the South American version of this tournament. Because South America, there's only like 10 countries. So to have a tournament, they always have to invite other countries from other regions in. And we've been and we've done actually really well against South American teams. So we put that's what we should be pumping our chests out about right now? Well, that's the only thing we actually do any well in. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, we, we do well in the random South American tournament. We're going to win the Gold Cup because we're great. And then we're going to somehow miss the World Cup again. Like, that's just, that's just what's going to happen. Who, so, who, has, who has more fans, Mexico or the U.S., if they're in the final? I think it would be Mexico. 
I do too. I think I think we'd have like a 60-40 split on attendance yeah. in favor of Mexico. Yeah. I, I do I do think a lot of US fans would travel to Vegas to watch the United States play in the Gold Cup final, but I do ultimately think it'd be 60-40 in favor. I mean, hell, Mexico played Iceland at Sam Boyd and sold the damn thing out. So if they're playing the U.S. in the Gold Cup final, there'll be a ton of Mexican fans. Go Qatar!